it's very empowering because you don't have to wait on anyone. You can kind of do things on your own time, on your own terms. Um, and then you also are able to focus more on building relationships with people. You're not traveling with someone else who has expectations maybe differently than what yours are. Um, and, you know, sometimes like you kind of have to adapt your schedule. But when you're solo, you know, you just, um, as I'm sure you know, you just kind of pick up and go. Hey everyone, I'm Tristan, and this is the Backpacker Society Show, where we hope to inspire you to travel by talking with those who've already done it, giving you their tips and insight on the places they know best, and sharing knowledge on specific travel topics so you can have more authentic adventures. In this episode, my guest takes us on a tour around San Diego, California, and we also talk about the ups and downs of solo travel, so stick around and enjoy. You're listening to the Backpacker Society Show with your host, Tristan. Hey guys, Tristan here for the Backpacker Society. Welcome to the show. I hope you're having a great day, great commute, great jog, whatever you're up to. Of course, whether this is your first time here or you're back for more, thanks for stopping by and hanging out, and I hope you'll be inspired by travel today. Have you been thinking about solo travel for a while, but not quite sure how to feel about it? Well, if so, then this episode is definitely for you. My guests and I today, we take you through a bit on what it's like to solo travel and why you probably should. My guest today is from Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. She's well-traveled, mainly across the U.S. and parts of Europe, and we actually originally met on a boat. You can check out her digital scrapbook on Instagram at Carly McClave. My guest today is Carly McClave. And in our interview, as I mentioned, we dive into what solo travel is all about, some of the ups and downs, like having the freedom to do as you wish for the most part and go with your own flow. And also, maybe at times, feeling a little bit isolated because maybe for some reason you're, you're lacking a bit of confidence and not interacting much with others. We get into that a bit. She also shares some tips on San Diego and things to see and do there. We do also touch a bit on her past volunteer work and learn why that's always been important for her and her travels, especially earlier on, along with some other stories along the way. After the interview, I'll share my thoughts on some of the ideas that come up, and I'll also share some tips on how to prepare for your first trip if you feel you're ready to make that jump. But for now, let's roll into our interview with Carly. I'm going to start this up pretty much how we often get asked as we travel. Probably the two most questions we get asked. What's your name and where are you from? Name's Carly. Uh, from Originally from Philadelphia and now currently living in San Diego. All right, cool. So now that that's out of the way, are you ready to actually get started? <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, awesome. Um, so first... We're going to get to know you as a person a little bit. So I'm going to ask a few questions and then we'll go from there. Sound good? Yeah, sounds good. So first question, you're into American football and you go pretty hard for the Philadelphia Eagles. 
Now, what sets you apart from the average fan is that you can actually say that you were part of a team for a while because you used to help bring out a bald eagle onto the field for their home games. Now, I don't want to ask how you got into that position because I'm sure you've probably had that before. But before I give you my question, first, take me back to how you actually became a fan. Was it just kind of like a rule of the house growing up in Philly or how did it come to be? Yeah, it's funny. I'm actually not, um, I'm probably not as diehard as most Philadelphia fans are. Um, I'm pretty sure (laughs) we do have a reputation. Um, But yeah, it's kind of just like comes with the territory, you know, born and raised um, right outside of Philly. So, um, you know, just like liking Wawa, anyone who knows Wawa, um, you know, awesome. But um, yeah, it just kind of comes with the territory. So um, I kind of fell into this job where I was able to, um, you know, help bring out the bald eagle onto the field for the national anthem. So it was pretty cool. I got to, you know, stand on the Lincoln financial at every home game, um, you know, for probably two years. So it was pretty cool. So with that said, like that first time being on the field, was it any sort of like pinch me, this can't be real moment or just sort of like another day? How did you feel? Yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, obviously like Honestly, I don't think I ever went to an actual Eagles game. So like my first experience going to an Eagles game was actually being on the Lincoln financial field. So I was like, yeah, that is pretty cool. You feel the energy, you feel the stadium, um, you know, um, it's pretty powerful in Philly. So uh, definitely a really cool experience. All right. Not bad. I mean, for your first time at a game, that's that's a good way to start. So there you go. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. For sure. (laughs) All right, so let's move to the next question. So I'm curious to know, what do you remember about hanging out on Racket River back in summer 2009? And what were some of your favorite activities at YL Summer Camp? Racket River? Racket River. Where's that? It's closer up to New York. Oh, Saranac? Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um summer 2009. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I went to camp Saranac. Um, oh my gosh, that was so long ago. That's crazy. That was such a good time. I remember that. That was like unreal. (laughs) So it it wasn't part of the YL like organization. Yeah. Yeah, it was absolutely. Sorry. Um, that totally caught me off guard. I was like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like summer 2009. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I headed up there, Camp Saranac. That was that was so much fun. Awesome. What were some of your fan activities there that you remember? It seemed like you were, it was like river based and everything. So of course. Yeah, it was um it was on the water at Lake Saranac. So we did like parasailing. Um, there was like a giant slide you could go down. We did mud races. Um, oh my goodness, we did. Um, we we played so many games. I'm like trying to remember now and like channel that. I think there was kayaking. Yeah, that was a really good time. Um, but it was such like a good group community feel. There was just so many different people there to meet and like connect with and, um, you know, quite wholesome as well. It was just that, that was uh, those were the good old days. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cool. Cool. All right. So next question. Um, I know you're a pretty big hiking enthusiast. Um, there's a picture I'm going to send you in a second just in case. But there's a picture of you and your brother as kids on Hawk Mountain. Do you remember, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. So I have two questions about that. Um, what role did Hawk Mountain play in developing your love for hiking? 
And uh, was the trip sort of a the start or part of a ritual at all where you'd go hiking somewhere to bond with your family, specifically with your brother? Yeah. So it's funny you asked that. So we would take trips down to Hawk Mountain pretty often. Um, it was like an hour and a half away and we kind of had like a routine. We would go and we'd stop at this place called Cabela's on the way, which is like a giant outdoor store for um, anyone who doesn't know what that is. But um, yeah, it was really, really cool. Um, we would, we would drive down there. We'd stop at Cabela's. We'd get these like, um, cinnamon peanuts or something. I forget what they were, but, uh, we would stop and get those on the way. And then we'd go hiking, you know, sometimes, uh, my brother and myself would bring some friends with us on these trips, but, um, yeah, usually my mom would take us there, um, at least once a year and kind of just grew up like with my parents taking me outside a lot. So it really like, when you do that, I feel like it just resonates with you. And, um, you know, like as you get older, you kind of have that nostalgia when you go out into the outdoors, it's like childhood and, um, you know, it just really like sits with you well. Um, so I was always super grateful that my, my parents both, um, you know, took me out into the woods and, uh, you know, kind of like let me appreciate the simple life. But yeah, I always remember my mom like freaking out when I would get near the edge of the the rocks because it was like this big overlook and we were like daring little kids. So it <laughs> <laughs> sounds good. Sounds good. Um, okay, next question. Last but not least, in your words, who are you? That's always a tough question because it's like, who am I? Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think I take a lot of pride in just being open minded and um, really just keeping like an adventurous spirit about myself. So um, I really I'm kind of a yes man. Like I like to say yes to a lot of things. I like to um, experience new things as often as possible. So I think that definitely plays a big part in my personality. Um, you know, I love, love, love meeting people. So I'm very social, um, you know, definitely um, kind of always waiting for the next adventure. Um you know, always, always excited to try out new things. Um, and then, you know, working hard to do those things as well. So it doesn't always come easy. You have to put in the work to get there, but yeah, I mean, overall, I think I'm pretty, I'm a pretty open person. Um, and I just like to connect with other people. And I think that's kind of like what I've based the premise of my life on just, um, getting to connect with other humans and from all walks of life and doing kind of whatever it takes to understand different cultures, different people, different walks of life. That's a pretty good way to be. <laughs> All right. So I feel like we've gotten to know you a little bit. Are you ready to move on? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So we're going to move into um, San Diego and focus on that a bit. I know you recently moved there, but you visited many times before and fell in love with the city. Um, but before I give you the keys and let you take us where you like on this virtual tour, if you will, I want to ask about OB Hostel. Because as someone who has the initials of a hostel tattooed on my body, I understand how much a hostel can influence your emotional connection to a city. Um, and I feel it's maybe a similar situation with you. So how much did OB play a part in your connection to San Diego? Oh, massively. Um, yeah, I mean, I went to this hostel six times before I moved here. I just couldn't get away from it. Um, and then, you know, initially when I came here, um, I was thinking like, oh, wow, OB, like it's, I don't know if this is like the spot for me, but, um, then as I like continued in San Diego, I just fell more and more in love with OB. 
Um, and unfortunately, actually, at the beginning of this pandemic, the hostel that I stay in called um, USA Hostels Ocean Beach, it actually shut down. Um, so my understanding is that someone else bought it. So I'm not really sure what's happening if they're going to continue to open it. But I really hope they do so that, you know, other travelers can continue to connect and meet there because um, it, it's like truly just an amazing place. Um, but yeah, I mean, so I first came to San Diego, um, basically just because it was February, it was cold. I was, I was, um, already in Colorado and I thought, okay, I have some miles that I can burn. I'm going to, I'm going to fly to California, check out San Diego. Cause maybe it's a little warmer. And, you know, I look up hostels. I'm sure you've done the same thing. You kind of, sometimes you like yeah. go to places because whatever, you know, whatever has the best hostel. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I saw this hostel and it was like this peace sign with like rainbow all over it. And I was like, wow, that's really pretty. Um, and it was right by the beach. So I ended up staying there, just kind of knew nothing about it, had good ratings. Um, and then I walked in and within probably 30 minutes, I was going out to grab beers and pizza with some people that I had just met there, um, you know, and some of whom I still stay in touch with. So um, and then after that, we went and we walked uh, to go view the sunset. Um, someone was like playing a Grateful Dead cover song, um, Ripple, on mm-hmm. the sidewalk as the sun was going down when we walked up to the pier. And I was like, I feel like I could live here. <laughs> um, so that's kind of how it all started. All right. Awesome. Like I said, like I definitely have had a similar feeling. So I understand where you're coming from there. All right. Um, so go ahead and take us on this tour of San Diego. What are some things that if I'm there for the first time, I should see and do? Yeah. So the one thing to know about San Diego is like, there's a place for pretty much everyone here. So there are so many different parts of the city and I'm still getting to know it. So obviously, you know, I've been here for a couple months now, but, um, and I've came to visit a couple times. Um, I've probably spent most of my time in ocean beach, um, which I'll kind of touch on, but, um, what's really cool about San Diego is just like, there is a spot that I feel like everyone kind of resonates with because there's, there's so many different parts to see. And like, you know, I just went to a new place on Saturday for the first time that I was like, wow, this exists in my city. And I didn't even know it, like, you know, totally different from all the other places I've been. So, um, it's definitely a place worth checking out and worth, worth checking out for kind of a while. Cause, uh, um, you know, there's always more to see, but yeah. I guess I'll start with um, the Ocean Beach area because that's kind of what I first fell in love with. And that's actually where I am right now. Um, But Ocean Beach is more of, I would just like, if we're to kind of label it, I would say it's like very hippie, like eclectic, like, um, you know, free spirited um, area. So definitely like more of a local spot, um, very laid back. Um, There's pretty much one main street called Newport Avenue and on Newport Avenue, you can have like, in my opinion, the best tacos in all of San Diego, (laughs) most importantly. Um, And then there's a lot of really cool, just like dive bars and places to go, Um, you know, waterfront bars, rooftop bars. Um, There's a really good spot um, called Winston's for live music. They also do karaoke night. Um, But honestly, one of my favorite parts about OB is that every Wednesday they from, um, it's called four to eight, PM, 
they do a farmer's market. So, you know, you can go buy fresh, you know, um, fruits, veggies, plants. They have like everything from Philly cheesesteaks to avocado toast to, um, you know, like t-shirts. So it's really cool. All the locals come out with like things that they've crafted. Um, There's usually live music. And you can actually um, just, I mean, it's usually a really good time. It's a, it's a good time. And then after everything shuts down, um, typically everyone goes over to the beach and they do like drum circles and they do fire tossing, uh, slack lining, you know, people are blowing bubbles, you name it. It's just like very, very Cali vibes, so to say. Um, so that's actually part of the reason I fell in love with OB. I was like, wait, they do this every Wednesday? <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, and then you've got the beach, uh, right there at the end of Newport. Um, you can walk the pier. There's a cafe on the pier. Um, and then there's also a couple of pretty cool beaches and, um, it's pretty close to this place called Sunset Cliffs where, um, I always like to go and just watch the sunset or, um, sometimes I'll go for runs along Sunset Cliffs. It's, uh, quite lovely. So OB is more, I would say of like the kind of hippie spot it's like your typical southern california like laid back chill vibe um you know it's it's really beautiful um the homes are pretty cute as well but honestly like you know it's really just the vibe like the people are so friendly they'll wave to you when you're walking down the street um cute boutiques just like just a really really friendly nice happy place to 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 be um, but yeah, and then, um, I guess I'll, I'll kind of talk to you about some other parts of the city as well. Sure. Cool. Next to OB, you have a place called Pacific Beach, which, um, I don't know how to explain it. I guess it's more, it's definitely more of like a party place. So, you know, if you're looking for a good time and you want to, you want to like get down and, and have fun, um, there's plenty of bars in PB. So, uh, Pacific Beach is more of just like, bar scene. I think there's some good surfing. I'm not a surfer, unfortunately. I guess I'm not that cool yet, but maybe someday. <laughs> um, but yeah, you can actually go to Pacific Beach. There's there's um, there's surfing. There's really nice beaches. It's a really long beach. And then you, you've got a whole boardwalk there. Um, there's also another beachfront hostel there. Um, I believe it's called Banana Bungalow. I've stayed there for a night and that one's pretty cool as well. Um, so, you know, always a decent recommendation for other travelers, but, um, yeah, I would, I would say, um, Pacific beach is more of a party vibe. Um, you've got a lot of different bars that you can bar hop around to. Um, then you, I actually just explored a little bit more of downtown. There's like the gas lamp district. Um, you know, that's right along the water a bit. And then, um, that's more of like a city vibe. So, um, you know, some people like work down there or you can just, I've heard that the nightlife is pretty good there, but I haven't experienced it yet. Um, there's an area also called North Park, which is like a little bit more hipster, um, you know, like breweries. And um, I know there's a, a kombucha uh, a distillery, like a spiked kombucha called Juneshine there. So um, for all my kombucha lovers, it's a, a good place to go. Um <laughs> La Jolla. Um, I feel like a lot of people, when they travel to San Diego, they end up in La Jolla just because it's probably one of the more well-known areas. Um, definitely more expensive than, uh, I mean, San Diego is expensive period, but 
it's definitely one of the like wealthier areas and um you've got the cove so that's like where i think that's where like a lot of the tourists go but it is really pretty you can like get dinner you can overlook like see the seals go snorkeling um and then you go up a little bit further north and um there's actually a really cool beach and an area so there's this place called Tory Pines where you can watch people like hang glide and launch, um, you know, and basically like float over the water. Um, there's some hikes up there. And then there's this, uh, there's actually like a nude beach called Black's Beach, which um, you have to like hike down to, but it's super, it's actually a super pretty beach. Um, it's pretty much like you hike down a cliff um, and then, you know, it's like really good views and everything. So definitely, I think one of the prettiest beaches out here. Um, there is, um, another area called Coronado, um, Coronado. I just went to on Saturday. That was the place that I was telling you about that. Also, I just, man, I just want to take a bike and just look at all the homes. It was so pretty. Like, you know, you just kind of bike around and, um, you know, you can see like some of the nicest homes I think I've ever seen. So, for those, you know, I know, I feel like that's something that my mom would love to do. Like if, when my mom comes to visit, like we're going to go and bike around Coronado <laughs> for sure. Um, and then also the, the beach is, is really lovely there. So, um, definitely a place worth checking out. And yeah. And then there's, there's a lot of really good hikes too. I mean, um, I know one of the most well-known ones is Cowles. I, I that one's nice, but it's even better at sunset. <laughs> of course, get a good view. Um, yeah. And then, you know, um, I've kind of been exploring some of the local spots, so probably like less well-known areas, but, um, you know, just checking out places to go like on trail runs and stuff after work and, um, you know, kind of just exploring some places closer to home. But yeah, I mean, we're, we're two hours, two and a half hours, I guess, from Joshua Tree National Park. It's like six and a half hours to Yosemite two and a half hours to, to Big Bear Lake. Um, so we're really like in the middle of uh, a lot of good stuff. 30 minutes from Mexico. Didn't even mention that. <laughs> yeah. So it's really in the middle of a lot of cool stuff. Nice. Yeah. So they able to branch out a bit. So like what if, of all those spots, what are some of your particular favorites? Yeah. Um, so as of right now, I'm kind of like on a sunset cliffs kick. I've been pretty much going there every day to run. Um, I don't know what it is. It just, it's like, reminds me of the Mediterranean or something. Sometimes it's just so pretty. Um, so I've been going there a lot. And then I also really love, um, this place called, um, Santa Cruz Cove beach. I think it's called. Yeah. Santa Cruz Cove beach. Um, it's at the end of, it's in ocean beach at the end of, um, Santa Cruz, have and you just like follow it to the end and then there's this like really cool beach it's kind of hidden um and you can just pop back there it's like in the middle of all these cliffs there's two sides to it and you can like walk under the cliffs and like switch between the sides you can like um you know go in the ocean just hang out but it's a lot smaller it's a lot um I don't know it just seems like less crowded like the people there always seem to be in a good mood so um, that's been like the beach that I've been heading to. Um, and then if Black's beach wasn't so far, I'd probably go there more often. Cause I thought that was pretty cool. It was really pretty. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, 
Mike's Tacos in Ocean Beach. Can't forget that one. <laughs> Best tacos in all of San Diego. <laughs> all right. I'll have to give it a try whenever I get back there. Um, I've actually been there mainly for work, but uh, we did have, well, basically, I remember walking, I guess, to the mall. It's a big one. So it didn't have much time because I was on a ship, but um, I remember disembarking a ship there and myself and a few friends who also left the ship. Um, we had a few hours, so we did rent um, a car and, and drive around a bit. Um, I might have gone to one of the areas. I know we passed by one beach. I, was, I don't know which one, but, um, you know, it was pretty scenic. And we were pretty close to some really nice houses. So it's possible I went to um, one of the areas you mentioned. But um, I also remember we went to check out this. Um, apparently, there's a very old hotel that I believe is supposed to be haunted or, or whatever it is. Um, my friend was more interested in and that so we took a drive by and, and checked it out but other than that i can't really give you any specific details about san diego but um i know i do want to go back and and see more of it for sure so yeah it's cool how everyone's experience with san diego is different like um because depending on where you end up or where you go you know you have like different impressions of of what san diego is so um it's tough because, you know, I'm going to have some people visiting eventually and it's like, you know, they're usually limited on time. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I just am so eager to show them every part of San Diego. But, you know, obviously you don't always have time for that. So it is always cool to hear like where people go and what they do when they do visit because there is so much to see. For sure. OK, so unless you have some other spots or things that come to mind, are you ready to move on? Yeah, for sure. All right, let's do it. So we got to know you a little bit earlier as a person. Now we're going to take some time to get to know you a bit more as a traveler. I know we're going to talk about uh, solo travel soon, but I want to take a moment to focus on your volunteering because you've done a few mission-based trips where you've helped organizations that often involve working with kids uh, like the Hosanna House in Belize, Little Lambs in Kenya, and teaching in Thailand. Um where does that desire for volunteering, especially with kids, come from? Yeah. Um, so I've always just loved working with kids. I feel like they just have this ability to make life just really simple. Um, you know, like their intentions are are pure uh, well, for the most part, I'm sure. But but, you know, like I just feel like kids, um, you know, they, they're impressionable. So, you know, if you have an impact to, you know, change the way that they think or put them on the right path or, um, just kind of help them out where they need it and, and show them some, um, kindness and stuff. It really does go a long way. And like, you know, them growing up into being a good person. So I've always loved kids for that reason. Um, and you know, I've always babysat, like I've worked at summer camps, I've done all kinds of stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, I just kind of thought like, Hey, what a great way to get integrated into a culture to learn a little bit more rather than just being a tourist, you know, actually be truly integrated into the culture, um, understand, you know, like what it's like to, um, maybe like, I'll never, I'll never ever truly know what it's like to grow up in Kenya or grow up in Thailand or, you know, whatever, but I can certainly try and walk a day in their shoes. And for me, learning about the culture is kind of where it starts and it, it definitely helps me, um, understand, you know, different ways of living and, um, you know, go about my life with that knowledge. So, um, one way to do that was, uh, to volunteer abroad and to teach 
um, overseas. So, um, yeah, I went to um, Belize, uh, Kenya, and Thailand, and I did some volunteer programs there um, where I did work with kids. Um, and yeah, man, I mean, it, you know, I, I will say it time and time again, I feel like it was so much better than just being a tourist because I actually got to, you know, stay in schools and um, learn a little bit more about how the people there live. So, for sure. I mean, first part, as far as working with kids specifically, I do, I do myself. So I definitely understand where you're coming from there. And, and as you said, as far as volunteering and doing things like that, you definitely get a better feel of, you know, the culture wherever you are. So awesome. Oh yeah, that's um, right. I forgot you work with kids. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and even with volunteering, I know I helped teach English in uh, Peru much earlier in my travels, but it's, it's always good when you can do some volunteering. Um, I do want to ask, I do want to ask, cause it seems like your trip to Kenya was a bit more significant to you personally. Um, yeah, I did that. I did that in college. So I feel like I was, I was, you know, very impressionable then as well. So, um, it was just a good time for me to learn about a culture that's so vastly different from, uh, you know, ours really. Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. All right. So, and then if you could just clear something up for me, because obviously you've done these mission trips. Um, were your first trips more mission focused only? And then you kind of made a shift to more to more of a backpacker standard way of travel? Or how did that go? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I was mostly working with kids on these first few trips. Um again, just to get more integrated into the culture. And what actually happened was, um, I ended up, you know, in Thailand, um, teaching and I didn't really have a game plan. I kind of just booked a one way and I knew I was going to be teaching for, you know, a period of time. And then I was thinking, okay, we'll see how it goes. If I have money left over, I can always extend it. Um, and then during my teaching experience, I made a really good friend, um, you know her as well. Her name's Valeria. Um, yep. <laughs> and we just hit it off. And we both had kind of like these ideas of, yeah, I kind of, you know, we're here. I kind of want to travel after. But we were both new to backpacking and we had never done it before. Um, and I didn't really actually know that what I ended up doing in Southeast Asia was considered backpacking until like it, it kind of, I think it was right around when we met you when we were like, oh, I think we're like, backpacking. <laughs> so it's really funny how it worked because, um, I, my mentality around travel was, you know, I don't want to wait on anyone else because, um, you know, I, I felt that anytime I tried to plan a trip with someone else, it always fell through and, um, not to be negative, but it just seems like people always like disappointed you, you know, like they would always, um, end up like being like, yeah, I'll go. And then they, they kind of bail out last minute. Um, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, ultimately what I ended up doing was, um, you know, going on these volunteer trips, met Valeria, she wanted to travel too, and we both were kind of new to it. So obviously, you know, kind of nerve wracking, um, doing that on your own, especially in a foreign country where you don't speak the language. So we ended up, um, both being like, okay, let's create a game plan. So we both finished teaching at the same time. Um, and then we took off, um, I think it was, so I was in Chiang Rai, Thailand. We took off to Chiang Mai for the weekend. Um, and then we actually had to cross the border into Laos. Um, 
because our visas in Thailand were expiring. Right. Um, and that's actually where we took the slow boat and, you know, yeah. met you uh, <laughs> and and the rest of the, the slow boat crew. Um, so, yeah, we just actually we ended up like staying at hostels and stuff because it was cheap and we were both on a budget. Um, and then all of a sudden it was like, oh, yeah, we're hostel hopping. Oh, OK. Like this is this is backpacking culture, isn't it? Like this is what we're doing. And, um, you know, the the next trip I was like, oh, I could do that, you know, in Europe or in like the United States or whatever. So um, yeah. just kind of we just kind of fell into it. Awesome. Um, and I'll stick with that for a little bit more. Um, what were some of when you made that shift, basically, what were some of the first um, challenges that, that came up in your mind or like literally just came up? I know I, I can think of one because I remember you carrying around that big suitcase. and you would, uh... <laughs> Yeah, I was like, I was like, Tristan, what wasn't a challenge? Um, yeah, no, it, there was a lot of trial and error because obviously like, you know, if you're prepared for something like that and you know what you're doing, it's a lot easier. Um, you know, it's it's we were not prepared for it. We did not know what we were getting ourselves into. Um, so, you know, as you know, um, had a massive bag with me from teaching because they were like, they gave us this list of stuff that we needed to bring. You know, it was like a sleeping bag and it was um, like all these different pairs of shoes. Um, you know, they had us bring like all kinds of stuff. Um, laptop, like, you know, whatever. So I had this massive, massive bag um, that I was carrying around and then a backpack too. So um, I don't, yeah, like on the slow boat, that was carrying it up up those <laughs> stairs. Like there's this like that case that, that set of stairs where I don't know if you remember that that was brutal um yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah I was and in that heat too oh my goodness um so obviously like you know if I had known that I was backpacking I probably would have prepared differently um so I learned you know one of the first challenges I overcame was learning how to pack light learning that you like literally do not need that much um you can probably fit everything you need for one two months on your back um, and then just adapt and buy things, you know, as you need them, if, if that's the case, but, um, just learning to live really minimal, minimalistically and just, uh, um, rolling with the punches and stuff. But, um, yeah, I also, uh, I got sick like a couple times on that trip. I got, I like couldn't taste food for a month. Um, so it was just kind of like learning the things that you might want to bring, like, Hey, bring nasal spray because the air conditioners might not be filtered and they might get you yeah. sick and um you know like oh man we we didn't really plan accordingly like we didn't always book hostels ahead of time and when we got to um Luang Prabang off the slow boat in Laos um we actually had yeah. to like we could not find a place to stay um so luckily someone on the slow boat uh Stuart was able to to um save us a spot in the <laughs> in the hostel um yeah, I mean, it was it was challenging. Like we didn't know how to go about um, booking things, saving money. So after that trip, I did a lot of research um, before going on my next backpacking trip, and um, you know, I ended up downloading all these apps that would help. Um, I also discovered really quickly that um, do not turn on your phone data if you do not have an overseas plan. 
I got a $800 <laughs> bill when I got home. So oh. um, yeah, there was, there was so much trial and error on that trip. Like I couldn't even begin to tell you, like we, you know, like you have to be careful what you eat, um, you know, make sure you have the right medicine. <laughs> like, um, yeah. And just being safe. Like, obviously, um, there's, you know, you, you always want to make sure you're, you're being safe, taking proper precautions and stuff when you're traveling, just, um, as a female, especially, um, right. you know, um, places like Thailand, you know, I felt like they were pretty, pretty safe. Um, didn't feel too threatened there, but still, you just always want to be mindful and have your guard up for sure. Um, and yeah, did, didn't you stay with us? Like we all stayed in that same hostel as yep. far as in Laos, but, uh, yeah. So I was like, you guys, we all stuck together, I think. Yeah, yeah, that was so fun. <laughs> we did. Yeah. So um, Valeria and I were walking around Luang Prabang for uh, probably like two hours before we actually got to the hostel because Stuart messaged us. He was like, I got you guys a spot because I guess everyone got off the slow boat and all the um, hostel rooms filled up really quickly. Um, so yeah. we were we were struggling carrying around those bags too. good times. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So real quick, I'll just talk about your general travels. And just list them off. So over the years, you've gone to Kenya, as you mentioned, Belize, Thailand, um, more of Southeast Asia, Laos, we just talked about, uh, Quebec, Colombia, 11 countries in Europe, and then Hawaii and all over the US that you kind of alluded to. Um, so with that, let's move into your topic, which is solo travel. So now you've, you know, you had that first taste of backpacking not going into it, not really prepared, but going with the flow. You said after that, you did a lot of research preparation. Um, share some thoughts and stories that explains the ups and downs and what solo travel is all about. Yeah, of course. So um, I always kind of thought of solo travel as a way to kind of like take on a new challenge um, of your own you know, you, it's, it's very empowering because you don't have to wait on anyone. You can kind of do things on your own time, on your own terms. Um, and then you also are able to focus more on building relationships with people. You're not traveling with someone else who has expectations maybe differently than what yours are. Um, and, you know, sometimes like you kind of have to adapt your schedule, but when you're solo, you know, you just, um, as I'm sure, you know, you just kind of pick up and go. So if you meet someone cool, and maybe you had a different plan in play um, and you're like, oh, maybe their plan like, hey, I'm in I'm in um, Italy and, you know, these people are going to the Czech Republic. Uh, yeah, maybe I'll join them because that sounds like fun or whatever. You know, you can just uh, pretty much make any last minute changes and, you know, just go with the flow. And it allows, allows you to just be more present in your travels and really um, really just make decisions based on what feels right and what you want to do. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would say like solo travel is just about, um, keeping an open mind, um, really just learning more about yourself, more about people around you, um, being able to like better integrate into the culture and honestly, just like doing it because if you're constantly waiting for someone else to go on a trip with you, it might never happen. I've, I've, you know what I mean? Like I've had people, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Like, um, I feel I've had a lot of people over the years tell me that they're interested in something and then, you know, life happens. It's okay. Um, but for me, the reason I started doing it was just because 
I had a desire to see the world and I had a desire to travel and no, like I wasn't ready to wait for anyone. I, it needed to happen and I needed to find a way to make it happen. So, so I self-educated, um, I learned how to do it safely and, um, you know, cost effective, um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you can't split costs when you're, when you're solo. So, uh, <laughs> so I kind of did some research and then, you know, I took off and, um, best decision I've ever made. It really, really, really empowers you. And, um, it builds up a lot of confidence and it kind of gives you that mentality of like, oh my, like if I can do this on my own, what can I do? So, um, you know, I, I highly recommend. <laughs> Absolutely. And to your point, I actually kind of shared it on the last episode, but as far as waiting for someone from home to to take your travels or come with you on travels, um, as you said, you can definitely be waiting forever. I like Before I did my first trip, um, the plan before was to go, was actually do something really um, touristic and go to France with, with a buddy. And we were talking about it for a while and then it was getting closer to that time. And then... Um, he said, oh, you know what? I can't really do this anymore. Work got in the way, basically. And, um, you know, of course, that sucked. I was still thinking about it and thinking, you know what? You know, I'll just go anyway. We were supposed to go to uh, Disney World or talking about it anyway. So I was like, you know what? Maybe I'll do it. But then my car um, broke down and basically, obviously, that cost a lot of money. So that was the end of that. But that definitely, that feeling was a motivation later, uh, plus some other things that, um, you know, led led me to make the jump and actually go travel on my own so definitely don't try to wait if you want to do it just do it yeah tristan how many years in total like did you were you traveling solo for i know you i I remember now you you know you were working and then traveling or you know little combination of both so like how how long were you away from home for what was like your longest time away from home (laughs) right now (laughs) um so yeah, so when I met you, that was early 2017. Uh, I'm still on that trip. I left. I actually left on it. <laughs> That's amazing. And I, and I left. I left earlier than that because I was in a ship. Um, 2016 uh, fall, right, right before my birthday, so around September, and going on that ship, I was heading to Australia, and I already had in my head rather. Um, that I would stay in Australia for a year, do the, you know, working holiday visa. Um, but even then, when I first got on the ship, I was thinking maybe I'll come back home for a bit, um, hang out, and then head back to Australia. But obviously, I was already there. And then, I don't know, it's, it's almost four years later, it's turned into all this. Ended up going to to Asia, obviously, to Thailand, and fell in love with uh, Bangkok, basically, and stayed a lot of time over there. And just all the places, all the other places that I've gone to and since that period as well. So, yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. I can't believe that. Like, um, you know, I, I would come home and work in between my trips and stuff. It was just, um, you know, with my, my life and like what I had going on, I had to, I had to like pretty much, I could go for like two, two months, two and a half, one month, you know, at a time. Um, but I would like come back home and I, I couldn't imagine just like, being on the road for that long, what a cool feeling that must be. <laughs> and obviously, like, I would jump on a ship from here and there, too. But yeah, yeah basically. Still, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's still travel. <laughs> Being yeah. on a ship. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So share some stories with me. Um, 
you know, that you've experienced in your solo travels that kind of really highlight what it's about? Oh my gosh. Honestly, like, okay, I would actually, let's start with, um, you know, meeting everyone on that boat. Like you were there, you know, yeah. what if, you know what that felt like. Um, yeah. I, you know, um, just, so basically the, the cool thing about that was like, Valeria and I, like I said, you know, when we were done with um, traveling around Southeast, or I'm sorry, teaching in Thailand, um, we just kind of took off to Laos um, to, you know, make sure that we didn't get in trouble with our visas expiring. Um, we had no plan, right? So yeah. we were just kind of jetting and we were like, okay, we'll cross the border and then we'll go to the closest town and see what happens. And um we had some trouble getting there. I won't get into it. Like, I don't even like, we took like a tuck tuck to the wrong place and whatever we ended up getting, getting through. And, um, I'm blanking on the name of the town that we ended up in, um, that we took off the slow boat from, um, I don't know if you remember, but are you, so like from the first day, was it called? Yeah. Um, I think it began with an X. No, I'm not going to remember. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. That's okay. Um, but yeah, so anyway, we, we crossed the border and then we ended up um, taking a bus at one point. And this girl um, from Germany, we met on the bus. We started talking to her and she was saying like, oh, yeah, you know, you guys should really consider taking the slow boat. Like it's supposed to be a really cool experience. Um, it's fairly cheap. I don't know why I was like originally turned off from the slow boat, but this girl talked me into it. We ended up booking a hostel, like a private room with her that night. So the three of us like shared this private room and um, yeah, the next morning we, we got on the slow boat. We had no plans to do that originally. We were going to take a bus. Um, and you know, as soon as we got on the slow boat, we had no idea what we were getting into. We were like, Oh, I guess we're going to be on here for like two days or whatever, but we didn't really think much of it. And I like saw everyone on there with snacks and stuff. I was like, maybe we should have prepared better. <laughs> like, <laughs> and um, it's so funny just how everything worked out because we were sitting in the back of the boat. And then we, like right before we took off, uh, Larry and I were like, it looks kind of more fun up there. Everyone's facing each other. I want to sit up front. Like, let's not stay back here. So we go up front and then, you know, everyone immediately starts talking. And I don't remember at what point like you and I had met um, during that whole boat ride, but um, you know, like we had that whole crew there and, um, yeah. and you know, like some of those people, like, so I've met up with a good portion of those people that I met up on the boat with. So, yeah. um, you know, I visited some people in England and Scotland, and then I saw you at Oktoberfest. So that was kind of one of those, like, Hey, if we weren't on the fly and like, you know, I, I went over to Thailand by myself, I met Valeria, you know, we have matching tattoos now we're, we're pretty much homies for life. Um, and, you know, then Valeria and I met more people and, um, yeah, it really just connected us to people from all around the world. And then I ended up like making friends, you know, for life. So, um, that was kind of one of my, um, I, that, you know, you were there for that one. So of course that's a fun one to share. Um, but yeah, just being kind of on the fly, being able to be adaptable. Um, I think that's kind of what solo travel is all about. Just like being like, Hey, this idea sounds way cooler than what originally I had planned and I just met someone cool and they they're telling us that uh going on the slow boat is supposed to be a cool experience so yeah let's let's uh let's go do it <laughs> why not <laughs> yeah I want to add to that a little bit too because that group you know most of us were either solo travelers or traveling with one other person um I mean there were a few couples in there but 
um, you know, others that were just friends um, that I believe also met at some point in their travels. I don't think there was really anyone who um, that was traveling with someone else um, beyond the couples that, you know, was traveling with someone from home, if that makes sense. But um, we were like 20 deep, to be honest. Obviously, we had our kind of smaller groups because once we got off the boat, we ended up meeting more people at the house and everything. And, um, and especially in Laos, you know, you're going to, you start in Long Prabang, as you mentioned, Vang Vien, and then you end up, uh, well, some people end up in Vientiane, but from Long Prabang to uh, Vang Vien, a lot of the same people are following the same route. So, you know, you can start as a solo traveler or maybe, you know, partner with somebody else, but you're going to end up meeting and following these people the whole way through and get to know them better. So even if you are traveling solo, you're not alone, you know, so. Yeah, exactly. And that's like, that's what I always preach to people who are really hesitant to do it because I'll be honest with you, it's super intimidating to be planning a trip, picturing yourself in another country by yourself, especially if you've never had any experience like that before. Um, it is really intimidating. There's a lot to know and a lot to learn before you go. Um, so I always, you know, like to, um, if I have friends or something, I like to hop on the phone with them and walk them through what it looks like and what the reality of that is. And part of the reality is that you're really not alone. If you don't want to be alone, you don't have to be alone. Um, and, you know, there, there were some isolating times during my trips. Like I can certainly remember like lonely times where I was like, man, like, I wish I kind of met someone cool here, like whatever. So, you know, but for the most part, yeah, like you said, you're leapfrogging these people throughout this like route, this like backpacking route. Um, and then, you know, you end up walking the street in Vientiane and seeing the girl from France that you met, you know, on the boat, you know, two weeks ago. So um, it, it definitely was fun. Like I remember, um, you know, like we all ended up in Bang Vieng at, you know, some point in time together. And um, that was cool too. So it's just nice. And even if people do take off, like I remember the the couple that we met there, I ended up meeting up with them again in the Thai islands because we ended up being in the same part of the Thai islands again. So, you know, you get these people as contacts and then you can still meet them throughout your trip, um, see them again, and then who knows, visit them in their hometown like I did, right? <laughs> or meet up exactly. at Oktoberfest like we did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is also random. I don't, yeah, because I remember, I don't, I don't know who posted that they were going, um, but basically, if, whether it was me or you, the other message was like, hey, you're going to Oktoberfest? It's like, yeah, all right, so let's try to, you know, arrange something. And as you said, we met up and that was also a great time, so. Yeah, it's so cool. And it's like, when you meet the travel friends, I feel like that's the biggest takeaway is like, you now have a community of friends that um, do have the same mindset as you just in terms of like getting out and just doing it and, you know, not holding back. And then, you know, people who love meeting people and can be really adaptable. And also, I just found that like travel friends are the most supportive community on earth. Like they're always rooting for you. <laughs> it's crazy. I don't know if you, if you felt that, but I feel like people that I meet traveling are always like, oh, you're off on another trip. Like, awesome. Love to see it. Like, <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And I guess in part is because they've, you know, they've been there as well. So they have maybe a little bit more invested or at least in a different way. Yeah, I think that's probably it. They know, they know how good it feels and, um, you know, how exciting it is. And, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely uh, a good community of people to have. Um, and I was you know, definitely did not have that before I started traveling. So I, I love that now. Hmm. 
Um, talk to me a bit about your solo travels in around the states. Yeah. Um, so I, I, my state in state travel, or sorry, my U.S. travel was somewhat random and scattered. So there was a lot of different trips there. Um, I've done road trips with you know one other person um, on like two separate occasions. Uh, that is because I hate driving. I am like not. <laughs> I could drive for maybe four hours and then I'm like tapped out. That's it. So, um, so yeah, I did go on a, a road trip with, um, cross country road trip with my, my friend Tori. Um, and we were able to go and kind of see like a lot of the national parks. Um, so that was pretty awesome. And then I've also taken a couple solo trips, just like random flight deals. Like I said, you know, I was like a, loving this whole travel hacking life. So, you know, I found like a $90 flight to new Orleans. So I was like, ah, oh, you know, let's, let's, uh, go fly to new Orleans and, um, have fun for a couple of days and stay in a hostel, make some friends and, uh, you know, come home. So, um, you know, I did that. I probably spent maybe $300 or $350 for the week in new Orleans. Um, nice. met a bunch of really cool, fun Australians and people from all over the place. And, um, I actually just met up with uh, a couple of the people that I met in the hostel last week. They were in San Diego. So, <laughs> um, so that was cool. And then I've done like, uh, you know, a lot of, I did a lot of trips to the San Diego hostel by myself. Um, trying to think of where else I went. Um, yeah, I drove cross country with my brother to Colorado. Um, and then after that I flew to California. So I traveled, you know, to San Fran up, up North, um, you know, visited a friend and, um, and yeah, I mean, I, I've definitely done a good, good amount of traveling in the U.S. But the thing about being in the U.S., as I'm sure you know, is like you probably know someone everywhere you go. So you're never really alone. Like you're always like, oh, I either have a friend to stay with or um, I can meet up with someone when I get there Um, because, you know, you do just end up kind of getting to know a lot of people all around the U.S. And like, you know, even if I fly solo somewhere, sometimes I end up just like meeting up with people I know (laughs) at some point. I'm I've only recently, as a solo traveler, stayed in a hostel in the States. Um, there was one in uh, Miami area, actually two that I stayed around there. Um, but is it the, I guess the the hostel culture, would you say it's comparable in the States compared to really anywhere else in the world, like Asia, Europe, or how does it feel really? Um. So there's definitely not hostels in every city. So it's definitely more limited. Um, and then there's like less accessible public trans around here. So the, the backpacking culture is a little different. Um, what I found was that a lot of the people that I was meeting in hostels um, from other countries and stuff, they were mostly taking like, you know, the American dream, like U.S. road trips. So they were visiting cities and they were stopping at national parks, um, maybe doing some camping. Um, you know, and then they ended up like maybe doing like the coast of California or like ended up in New Orleans. So it was kind of like those travelers that were doing the cross country road trip that I would run into a lot. So a lot of people doing that. Um, but yeah, I mean the hostel life, sometimes it was comparable. Like if you found the right hostel, like the one in OB was, um, super fun, like good vibes. Um, kind of like you would find, you know, somewhere overseas, but you know, a lot of the hostels I stayed at weren't as social. They were kind of like almost hiker hostels. Um, so just quiet, like kind of reserved. Um, you'd sometimes meet some cool people there, but I would, I would say that like 
depending on where you go, there's less hostels with that like fun. I want to meet people vibe where there's like a social area. And obviously, you know, there's a lot of different choices when you go overseas. There's probably not as many choices in the States. So um, you don't always like get to pick and choose what hostel to stay at. But, um, you know, I would say I would say Miami has some good ones. Um, New Orleans, I think Oregon and Washington have a few. Um, San Diego, San Fran, uh, LA, and there's a couple others. Like I stayed in, I stayed in one in Phoenix, um, really quiet. There's one, um, super quiet. I've stayed in some in like upstate New York. Um, oh, New York has hostels too, Boston, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, a couple other cities, but, um, but yeah, they're just, they're not quite like your chances of finding a cool, like super social hostel are probably, um, a little bit lower in the States, but I think that we are getting there. I think that we are kind of creating, um, a little bit more of like a backpacking culture to make travel more accessible for other people who don't maybe want to spend, you know, 200 a night to stay in a hotel. Gotcha. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, and again, it was only two different hostels that I stayed at in Miami, but the first one was definitely, um, similar to how you described much more quiet. Uh, it was actually a lot of Americans who were just staying there kind of waiting to looking for a new job. So a lot of times, you know, during the day, they'd be away working and then come back sleep. So um, that was the vibe there. But the other one was a bit more social, um, a bit more of international travelers and the vibe was different. So, and obviously that can happen anywhere, but to be honest, that, that going to that very first hostel, I was like, ah, of course this is how it's going to be in the States, but (laughs) Yeah, I know. I remember the first hostel I ever I ever went to, like ever, was um right before I went to Thailand uh to teach. I stayed at this hostel in um I don't know if well, you're you know New York, the Adirondacks. Um mm. uh so like the mountains in upstate New York and it was like a complete hiker hostel. I was like, Oh, is this what a hostel was? So when I stayed in one in Thailand, I was like, wait, 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 wait. These are not the same <laughs> thing. <laughs> but Got to. Yeah. <laughs> Both cool for different reasons. No, definitely. Definitely. All right. You, you kind of alluded to sometimes the, uh, the downside of solo travel. Give me a story that sort of, uh, shows an example of that. Um, okay. Let me see. It's like, there's, there's so many good and so many bad stories. I'm like, I don't even know. I mean, honestly um well I'll I'll start with in general and then I'll see if I can tune into like a more specific example but um Mm -hmm. man it's tiring like if you you know you're on the road um by yourself you're fully responsible for you know your travel path your plans like you have to plan you have to prep you have to be aware of your surroundings you know um you have to like it's definitely a lot harder in a way Um, it's easier in the sense of, Hey, you know, I can just pick up and go whenever, but you know, you don't have anyone. If you, if you're like sick, you don't have anyone to go run an errand for you unless you made a friend that wants to help you out. But, um, you know, if you need like, Hey, like, can you go get me some water? Like whatever, you know, no one's going to help you. Um, you know, you're responsible for everything, um, and taking care of yourself. So, you know, on those days when you maybe don't feel so good, you're tired, you didn't get a good night's sleep. Like it was, you know, super hot. I I don't know, whatever you're, 
you're fully responsible for picking up and trekking forward. So there's just been so many times where I just did not sleep. Um, I, okay, I remember on my way back from Southeast Asia, um, I booked this flight and something changed. I don't know what. Um, I had a two-hour layover in China and it turned into 18 hours somehow. I don't know what, I don't know where I messed up or where the airline messed up, but um, yeah, so that kind of messed up like a lot of things for me. And like, I was pretty much out of money at the time. So yeah, whoops. Um, <laughs> and the airline kind of threw me a bone, but you know, I had to like basically spend 18 hours in this random city in China and I just didn't know my way around. I didn't have the right currency. I wasn't prepared for it. Um, I was trying to like get food and they didn't take credit cards and nobody understood what I was saying which is totally understandable. China's a massive country. They probably, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I was like this just weird American who had no idea where I was. It was I was in Guangzhou, um, just kind of wandering around, like trying to figure out like, hey, how am I going to go eat? Like, you know, I couldn't find an ATM. Like nobody understood me when I asked questions. It was, it was kind of brutal. And I mean, it all worked out. Um, but there's definitely been times where like there's it's not glamorous most of the time. Um, this like budget backpacker solo traveling life, like it's certainly not glamorous. Um, another instance, I got like stranded in Colombia. My flight. Um, uh, I remember <laughs> that actually. Oh, man, I was not a happy camper, but um, there was a hurricane in Florida. I couldn't get home. Um, long story short. Uh, they were like, yeah, we can get you back in two weeks. And, and mind you at this point, you know, I'm working a full-time job, so I'm not gonna, no, like that, you know, two weeks, it's not going to work. Um, and you know, all the flights were outrageously like a thousand dollars in like 48 hours to get home. So I was like, all right, like, um, you know, I asked the airline, like, Hey, how can you, how can you make this right? And they were like, uh, nothing, we can't do anything for you. So, um, you know, I ended up like, Oh, man, that was just brutal. I like did not sleep at all. And I stayed up like on the phone, um, trying to figure out what my game plan was. And I eventually did work something out. Um, I won't, I won't bore you with the details, but, um, I did make it home eventually. Um, I spent a lot of money and I lost a lot of sleep, but you know, I was like, yeah, that, that, that was brutal. <laughs> Not knowing when or how you're getting home and being stranded, you know, um, in another country is is pretty terrifying. <laughs> I can add to that real quick. Um, my very first trip, um, you know, yeah, I was also literally out of money. And at the time I had to, um, I asked my buddies back home, they actually spotted me for a flight. I was in Barcelona and, uh, like $400 or whatever, but I actually missed the plane. Just me being me, I guess, at that time. <laughs> oh, no. But I missed the plane because um, the, the night before, like I wasn't out partying or anything like that, but um, I was in a different area with the guys that I was staying with, and we were trying to make my way back. I had to go back to where we were staying, get my stuff, and then make my way to the airport. But what I didn't realize that um, at some point in that, transportation or getting there, I got on the wrong train in the wrong direction. So by the time I realized and, and backtracked, obviously I made it to the airport too late. So in that moment, honestly, I had a little bit of a, a little breakdown because at that point in time, like I felt like the environment was a bit too much. 
So I, I was ready to get back home. Um, so I had a moment, it's like, all right, um, what am I going to do? So on and so on. But I got back in touch with my, my buddy. There's two guys that I, um, you know, usually talk to still talk with them. They're, they've kind of been my, you know, my contacts back home in case, you know, something were to happen. But, um, so yeah, I tell them like, yeah, look, I'm sorry. I missed the flight. This is what happened. Um, so like I said, the first friend had paid for the flight. The second friend, like literally as soon as I said it paid for another flight. And luckily I didn't miss that one and I was able to get back. So, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's like, uh, oh my gosh, that's, uh, all too real. It's so funny because, you know, you see, I think when, when, you know, you're traveling, like I'm sharing like some, some nice, like pretty pictures of the scenery and it's like, oh man, like <laughs> I try and, I try and like let people know like, yeah, this isn't, uh, it's not glamorous. Uh, it's, it's certainly, uh, very exhausting and, you know, you have the high highs, but you have the low lows as I'm sure you've experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, in uh in southeast asia you know i got i think i mentioned before i got sick at one point and it was it was brutal um you know i'm sure you've been places too where the food just doesn't sit with you or like whatever because <laughs> comes with the territory but um yeah i mean there's just there's always parts too where it's kind of scary i mean i remember i had to walk um it was in paris i had to walk at like 4 a.m to this train station and it was just so scary. There was someone kind of like following me. Um, and you know, they might not have been following me. They're probably just walking, but in my head, this person is going to murder me, you know, like, (laughs) um, so just like little moments like that, when I'm carrying this massive heavy backpack, I'm walking like two miles to get to this train station, running on one hour of sleep. Like, I feel like someone's following me, you know, those are the less glamorous, uh, moments. And, um, certainly, you know, you sit back and you're like, wow, okay. I'm glad everything worked out. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So, um, t- I know you kind of alluded to it at times, but tell me what are some of the positive lessons that, you know, solo travel has taught you? Yeah, I think the number one thing, um, that I learned is that like, it has given me a really positive outlook on life because for the most part, people have been really kind. Um, just kind of give you some examples. Um, you know, I got in a motorbike accident in Thailand, um, and some locals, um, who were in the, the Lahu tribe actually like, you know, patched me up, um, you know, drove me home, um, and just like made sure that like my cuts were clean and I was taken care of. And, you know, I didn't ask that. They just offered. And I was like, wow, I am in a country where we don't even speak the same language. And these people helped me out. They had no motives. Like, um, it's kind of like, it's, it's just very touching. I think, um, you know, I've been, um, sick on planes and I had like insane sinus pressure and, you know, someone next to me was like, Hey, I have Benadryl for you. I've been there. Like, you know, whatever, just like little things like that, where you kind of start to realize like, you know, okay, these people in Kenya who barely have anything want to share a meal with me and offer me whatever food they can. Like, wow, just because they want to have a conversation and get to know someone. You just kind of like, it's, it is very heartwarming. Like, um, you know, I'm not naive to the fact that not everyone in the world is, is 
you know, good, but also like there are so many good people out there and to travel around the world and to experience like the kindness of strangers, um, you know, just really, really, really is like such a incredible feeling and it, it like restores your faith in humanity, humanity a bit. So I would say that one of the best lessons I could learn is like, you know, not to be cynical, um, on the world and stuff like, you know, especially times like right now, like, you know, times are tough, but, um, it was always good to just reflect on those experiences that I've had as a solo traveler, you know, as a backpacker and the people that I've been able to encounter and meet, whether it be, you know, locals or people in hostels that have really just helped me out and, um, you know, been kind to me. Um, so I would say that's one of them. Um, and then also just like, you know, it builds confidence and it makes you realize that, um, you can kind of do anything. Like if you, if you set your mind to something and you want to do it, then you can do it. And, um, you know, it's like, Hey, if I can, you know, as a, um, young female American, like, you know, go to another country and, you know, I'm grateful that I'm healthy and that I'm in a situation where, where I'm able to do that. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like, you know, you can accomplish a lot. Like when you step outside of your comfort zone, crazy things will happen. So that's probably Absolutely. my biggest takeaway. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, speaking of comfort zone, um, I did want to ask because since you are a female solo traveler, um, I've had many conversations with women who are afraid to travel solo in general because they feel as a woman, it wouldn't be safe for various reasons. Um, and I know we kind of alluded to that earlier. I know some of those reasons that come up are fair concerns, but what would you say to those ladies out there to kind of help them be more open to the idea of traveling solo and maybe even disprove a concern or two? Yeah, that's a good question. I feel like um, that is a legitimate concern. And in some ways, like, I feel like you should, like, you know, if you weren't like a little worried, then it, like that would almost be concerning. You know, it's like, it's like, I get it. Like there, you know, y you do have to be careful. Um, what I would say, um, you know, do your research. I never go anywhere by myself without understanding what I'm walking into. Um, I also think that there are certain places that are safer to start out and get yourself more comfortable with traveling and like, you know, being more aware of your surroundings and stuff. Um, you know, I would say, um, when it comes to, to drinking, things like that, you do need to be really mindful. Um, you can't just like do it like you would at home. Um, you've got to really be careful if you're, if you're going out on the town or something in a, in a place that you're not familiar with, um, you know, by yourself, that's, um, that's like number one, right. Um, you have to yeah. be, you gotta be mindful. Um, and I would say like, yeah, just, just do research. I mean, there are cultures that don't accept women that are, um, you know, a little bit harsher. Um, and I would say once you have a little bit more experience, like it would be a, maybe better to travel to those places or go with like a trusted companion, um, to those places. But I would say just start out with places, you know, um, that are a little bit easier to travel. Maybe they speak some English, um, so that you can get by always kind of have a plan in place, always have your location. Um, like I always had my location shared with, uh, people so that they always knew where I was and, you know, 
Um, if I ever felt unsafe, I would make sure that I contacted someone just to let them know the situation or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely, it's not always black and white. Um, I would say don't let it stop you and don't let it um, deter you from going anywhere because, man, I would have, if I lived in that fear, I would have never done half the things and I would have not been the same person that I am today. Um, but yeah, I mean, do your research look at other, you know, stories from maybe female bloggers that have been places before, um, understand the culture. Um, I've ruled out places before because I was like, you know what, this seems like a really awesome place to travel. But as a female solo traveler, I don't know that this is the best place to go. Maybe I'll wait until I have another travel buddy. So yeah, it's just being smart about that stuff. Um, and understanding the culture a little bit before you go there. And having a plan, um, you know, when you leave somewhere, have a destination that you're headed to, um, you know, booking uh, taxis and stuff during times of day that, are, you know, maybe aren't dark out, like, um, you know, just little things. But um, I would say that if you constantly live in fear, you're, you're like that, you're, you'd never really live life. So, um you know, be aware of your surroundings, don't drink too much, um, and do your research. Great tips. Okay. Is there anything else you would like to add about solo travel? Um, just, uh, whatever capacity you choose to do it in. If, if it's something that, you know, is in your heart, just like do it. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be to Africa. It doesn't have to be to Asia. Um, it can be two hours away from home, just spending the weekend somewhere, somewhere new. And, you know, even just going to a restaurant by yourself, like that's a really empowering feeling too. So sometimes I get those little hints of travel in little things like that. Like if I just go out to eat by myself or go to a movie by myself, it almost like reminds me of what it's like to just kind of be on the road alone and do things out of my comfort zone. So whatever capacity you can do that, that works for you. I mean, I think that that is like the spirit of travel. So, um, you know, like whether it's, um, like it doesn't have to be some big extravagant trip to some exotic place overseas. Um, you know, it can be an hour or two from home. It could be going to the drive to the beach for the weekend. It can be, you know, for me, it could be like taking a day trip to Joshua tree by myself or whatever. Um, but just getting out, you know, clearing your head and doing whatever you can you know, without having to wait for other people, I feel like that's just the spirit of, um, of, of solo travel. All right, Carly. So we're almost at the end of the interview, but first I want to give you some rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. All right, let's do it. Um, first question, what was it like meeting Will and Willow Smith? (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Oh my gosh. Um, I met them in like 12th grade at Barnes and Noble. Um, Will is super nice guy. <laughs> Willow, Willow's cool too. I didn't really talk to her that much, but Will was like, the first thing he said, I was like, Will Smith. And he goes, he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's your name? <laughs> oh. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, wow, that was his first reaction when a stranger approaches him. Like, that's a pretty cool guy. Um, but yeah, he was just shopping for books at Barnes and Nobles and, uh, um, really nice guy, honestly. Um, he met all my all my expectations. He he was very friendly. I like how he's just going for a stroll, walking through Barnes and Noble. It's so just normal. You know what's so embarrassing is I think I was getting like 
the third Hunger Games book or something. I was like there to pick up a Hunger Games book and I was like, oh, there's Will Smith. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Question number two. Hardest part of a Spartan race. Ooh. uh, I don't know. We had to like carry this massive bucket up a hill at one point and it was like 100 degrees out that day. I was not having that. Uh, (laughs) But... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I would just, I would say if you're doing it in Pennsylvania in the summer, yikes, Uh, (laughs) super humid. But yeah, I would probably say that. I'd probably say carrying that massive bucket up that hill. All right. And then last one, along with California and Pennsylvania, you can only travel to one place anywhere in the world for the rest of your life. Where is it? Oh my gosh. Uh, Oh my gosh, that's tough one like one country one city are we talking uh like country city anything but just one place honestly if it's like a region i would probably say southeast asia just because there's so much there um oh that's so tricky i would yeah i would probably say like the southeast asia area i just feel like there's so much there and it's really cheap and i always kind of had this dream of like working on an american income remote and like just balling out over there. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great place to do it. All right, Carly, you did it. We've come to the end of the interview. I'm going to give you 30 seconds of glory. So the floor is yours. Share what you have going on or drop some words of wisdom. Yeah. um, No, I just, I think that, um, you know, just in terms of like words of wisdom, I think that um, just having like the mentality around, being open-minded, being able to meet new people and really just, um, opening your, your eyes to like whatever life has to offer and just being open to new experiences. And, um, you know, I've like pretty much followed my, my gut and my heart to move out here to San Diego. And it's been everything I have expected and hoped for and more. So just kind of going after what you want and, um, not letting anything stop you and just like, Putting, having a smile on your face and meeting lots of people along the way. That's, uh, I, you know, I feel like that goes a long way. So that's, uh, that's all I got, I guess. <laughs> well, it's a great line of wisdom. So awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's great chatting <laughs> with you. You as well. It was great catching up. Have a good rest of your evening and I'll get in touch sooner than later. So perfect. Yeah. Sounds good. Thanks again. Right, cool. Oh, no problem. And thank you. All right. Bye. So there it is, my interview with Carly. Thanks again for sharing your stories and tips on San Diego and solo travel. Hopefully you listeners out there will put them to use. Now, at the start of the show, I said I'm going to share some tips for how to prepare for your first trip. But before I get into that, just to touch on Lau and how Carly and I met, you know, it was quite random, really. As we said, we met on the slow boat to Lao, which the boat itself really isn't anything fancy. It's just a long wooden boat, fairly skinny, with some decent seats, I guess. But yeah, I mean, there were many people on the boat itself because that route going from Thailand to Lao is the popular of the two routes versus coming from Lao back over to Thailand. But yeah, for everyone on the boat, we, however we got to town, Carly mentioned her and Valeria, who was another friend of the boat, made their journey after their teaching was over. I was in Chiang Mai at the time, had heard about the slow boat, 
a little before that, I believe in Bangkok at some point. And, you know, I was set on the idea for a little while at least, but only heard about it a few weeks earlier and set things up while I was in Chiang Mai to get over there. But once we were there, we all had to embark the boat in Hue Zai, which was that border town that we were trying to remember in the interview, but failed miserably. But Hue Zai. And it was funny because Stuart, who Carly also mentioned in the interview, I had actually met him in Bangkok originally. And we also met up again in Chiang Mai, but actually, I take it back. I, I actually headed to Hue Zai from, from Pai, which is another popular area in, in Thailand. But because, yeah, Stuart and I met up in Chiang Mai. We ended up splitting off. I was in Pai. He might have been there as well, but just the timing didn't work out then. But anyway, once everyone got into Hue Zai, I just happened to see him in the office area where we were getting our passports checked, which honestly made it a little bit nicer to be familiar with someone in that setting. But there were a few others, you know, as you're waiting in line or whatnot, that struck up conversations with. But yeah, once we were on the ship, we just happened to be around cool people, having little chats, playing music. At some point, I don't, I don't even remember at what point exactly I spoke with Carly, but as she said, she made her way up in that area. And again, it was, I would say, a solid 15 people at least that we were having these conversations or moments with, like sharing snacks amongst each other, just things like that. And that was on the first day of the, of the boat ride. You, you go for a good number of hours. We stopped that evening in a very small local village. But over that night, the same. That, that large group that we met, we, you know, we spent some time together hanging out on such and had dinner, I think, as a group. And then the next day, it was more the same. It was a bit of a shorter day going down the Mekong River, but again, we were chilling, hanging out, and that was the start of the Lao crew. So, And as Carly mentioned, she's met up with some since then in Europe and such. I as well. There were some guys in that group that I saw again for a good while in Australia and, and others who I still keep in contact with as well. So, Now, in the interview, Carly mentioned how she made the shift to backpacking travel but wasn't really prepared. So with that, here are some tips for how to prepare for your first trip. Whether you're going solo or with a group, these tips should go a long way for making that first trip more successful. So I'm gonna break it down in three stages and we'll focus on one stage at a time. The first stage, like Carly mentioned, research. And the first step of stage one, you're kind of doing now actually, it's learning about the travel lifestyle, specifically the one that you want. So whether you're listening to a podcast like this, reading a travel blog, maybe it's someone that you already know who's done travel like this before, get some knowledge from those kind of sources. Now, when I say the travel lifestyle you want, it can be that standard backpacker traveling where you're just go somewhere for a set amount of time, maybe hit a few different cities or countries, stay in hostels, see a few cool sites, do a few cool things, and then eventually head back home. Or you're doing something more volunteer-based. Maybe even you're going to do some things that kind of push your limit and, and test you in a way. If you run into a blog or podcast that talks more specifically on those kind of things and it gravitates towards you, then definitely follow that. 
some blogs that helped me out in the early days that I still even follow and refer back to at times today. I'll give you two. There's Wandering Earl, wanderingearl.com, by Earl Barron. But you'd basically call him an OG of the travel game. He's been doing this since 19, the late 90s, 99, I believe. And you can head over there and read his story. But basically, he started a trip in Thailand, I believe, after college. He went there with just a, a few thousand bucks to his name for the trip. And it was, I believe it was only supposed to be for a few months, but he enjoyed it so much. At some point while he was there, his money was getting low and he, he actually found a way to, to make some money teaching English in his own way over there, over there at the time. And pretty much since then, he's been doing his travel thing. But in the early days for me, I actually was on my first backpacking trip when I discovered him, but he was the one I read about that led me to working on cruise ships because he had also done it which is an interesting tidbit there. But but yeah, his, his article was about different ways to make money on the road and it mentioned ships, which caught my attention and, and that led me to something that eventually became a big part of my life for a time. So definitely check him out. Another one that's a bit more alternative, to be fair, is called The Runaway Guides by Leif Harum. His blog was the first that I actually ran into. I think at the time I just Googled travel blogs and was clicking on a whole bunch and his was the first that I saw that was pretty different from the others. I'm runawayguides.com. Again, you can read his story, but basically he was a guy who ran away at, at 16 and he basically just started traveling. So some of the things that he talked about that I gravitated to was urban camping and basically like how to sleep on the street. Because for me personally, that was just so, so different and, and almost a test of willpower, if you will. So. Now, I'm not telling you to go read about sleeping on the street, especially with it being your first time. But in general, his blog has many tips that were helpful then and still helpful now in my as I was starting and, and growing as a traveler. But there's many blogs, obviously. If you just type in travel blogs and Google, a lot will pop up. I'm sure the same with podcasts. So just find one or two that gravitates to you a bit more and then take what they're talking about all in and, and go from there. The second step in stage one of research is learn about the countries that you have in mind and eventually decide which one or a couple that you're going to go to. So how do you do that? Now, again, going back to the first step, if you found that podcast or blog, take a look at the articles or episodes that talk about a specific place. Of course, especially if it's a place that you're already thinking about. And again, if you know someone who may have happened to visit that place, you might be able to get some information from them as well. Now, if they went and they just stayed in a resort or something like that, then it may not be too much of a help unless that's what you're looking for. But if they were to able to experience it in a more unique way, definitely just ask them about it. Of course, do a Google search. You may run into some simple guides, things to see, things to do and not do from a cultural perspective in a certain country. There's also Lonely Planet. You can check any of those sources out. I remember when I was deciding places for my first trip, I probably didn't do that much research, but the one thing I can remember was for the Baltic country I was looking at, I learned that shaking your head for yes and no was the opposite of what I'm used to over here in the States and probably most other places. So basically, if you go over there, if you shake your head up and down over there, that means no. And if you shake your head left and right, that means yes. So that's a pretty basic example, but 
if you do a little bit of research, you'll learn simple things like that that could actually go a long way in your experience in that particular country. So definitely do your research about the place. And once you figure out whatever details that are important to you about it, then you can decide whether it's a good option or, or to maybe not try it out for your first trip. And of course, with picking a country as well, or the places you want to go to in general, the time frame you have, I'm sure will come into play, but that's for you to decide. But once you figure out where you want to go, step three is to look for and actually book a flight. I know some people talk about a science to it, you know, book a month before for the best price or whatnot. I don't know if all of that is really the case. I've booked flights two weeks, a week, a few days before going, and I've still got a pretty good deal. So I wouldn't worry about that so much as far as trying to find a price, uh, trying to find a good price. Just book it for what makes sense to you, however the dates work and that time frame leading up to the day you're actually able to fly out and, and go from there or a train or however you're getting there. But now you ask, how do you find a flight or a train ticket wherever you're going? With regards to flights, there's a few options, but over the years, I've used Skyscanner. And the main reason I like it is because you can literally put everywhere as a destination. And of course, as, as long as you have the departure city in, it'll pop every place up listed by price, and then you can choose from there. A lot of times at this point, that's kind of how I decide where, where I'm going, but which you can very well follow that same model for your first travel. But either way, it's an aggregator, basically, and it pulls up a bunch of different flights from different companies. And you can search by specific day. You can search by a whole month, cheapest month, all that good stuff has always been helpful. There's a lot of others, like I say, you can always you can always look for a specific line. There's some budget lines, depending on the area of the world that you're going to, that might work well. I know in the past, I think it's Norwegian Air. I booked a flight through them from New York to uh to Sweden. I didn't make it. But either way, it was still a pretty cheap flight. I think uh no more than three hundred one way, but good price for the for the time of the year that time. As far as trains, things like that, again, it really just depends where you are. But one thing that's helped me, that's helped put me on the right path with those is called Rome to Rio. And that's the number two, Rome to Rio. So you'll put the information in there, wherever you want to go to, and it'll actually pop up all the different ways to get there. So flights, train, buses, etc. And then from there, you can see the specific details of the train company or bus company. And I would probably actually do it directly through that company's site, but at least it gives you an idea of where to begin. So I would say check those out. But definitely, once your transportation is booked, wherever you're going, you're committed, basically. And it's like now it's real. It's going to happen. So with stage one complete, now you move to stage two, and that's gear prep. You know you're going somewhere. Now you need a bag for your stuff. Now you can possibly get two bags. Your main backpack that's going to go on your back and hold your clothes and so on. And then you can have another backpack that's more like a school bag, especially if you decide to, to travel with some electronics or even for the sake of having a day pack that you can use in your adventures on your trip. But either way, of course, you definitely want to have your main bag. Now, like I said, it'll be for your back. You can do, you can do a bag that has wheels, and, but you're still able to get on your back but definitely not a large suitcase, okay? Now that said, 
if you are going for more of a volunteer trip, and like it was in Carly's case, you have to bring a bunch of certain items for that volunteering, then that's a special case. But going under the impression of a standard backpacking trip, definitely go for a bag that's going to fit on your back. Now, don't go buying the 80-liter backpack because it's a great deal and you can hold more stuff. It's quite the opposite. Less is more. You want to try to aim for a 40 to 50 liter bag. That's the sweet spot. Now, there's a lot of great companies out there. I've been rocking with Kelty for a while, the last few years. I have the Red Wing 50. Ironically, it's green, but <laughs> I honestly don't know now if they have the same model because I've had it for so long now and it's and it still held up well. But just going off that bag, I'll vouch for Kelty. But there are, of course, a lot of brands and, and models that can that can work well. Just depends on maybe what you like visually, I guess. But and I think spending around a hundred, maybe one fifty or so, especially if you feel you're gonna end up doing a lot more travels in general, it's absolutely worth the investment. This wasn't my first bag. I initially did exactly what I told you not to do and bought that seventy or eighty liter bag. But it was way too big and it was actually a cheaper one and it, it kinda worn out even though it did go through some things. So another reason you want to buy that 40 to 50 liter bag is because it's going to force you to not pack too much, even if you want to. It literally won't fit. So that more than anything is the reason to get that size of a bag, which now brings me into what to bring. Step two of prep. You've heard it already a few times, pack light. But what does that mean, really? There's honestly a lot of variables to it depending on where you go, but it's it's not too hard. I mean. The essentials, of course, is clothing, really. T-shirts, some pants, underwear, socks, probably a few toiletries, toothbrush, toothpaste, some body soap. But even that, you can actually buy some of those once you get to where you're going. So that's not necessarily needed. It's more of a more of a preference, I'd say. Still okay, as long as it's travel size, it's probably better. But instead of telling you exactly what to pack, what I tell you to do is Choose whatever you decide you want to bring on that trip. Fold them up however you're going to fold them up. Lay it on the floor. See what you have. And then as far as clothing goes, take away at least two things of each item. So two shirts, two pants if you have more than two. <laughs> and then that's probably what you need. Now, if it's like some socks and you, you're left with no socks, then at a minimum, I'd say two of something. But you definitely won't need everything that you feel like you do need. Now, of course, depending on your preferences, let's say you like to go out often and maybe you like to dress a little nicely, which you really don't have to on the road. But if you must, taking a nicer shirt, that's fine if you want to get a little extra. But that's it, really. And then if you're more of a hiker, you know, Add whatever essentials you need for hiking, nice boots, things like that. Same if you're often on your laptop or just want to bring it, you can add that as well, but definitely less is more. And going back on the toiletries for a second, if you do decide to bring some on that journey over, it's definitely best to go with the travel size because like I said, you can always buy some extra toiletries once you get to wherever you're going. Now, if it's something that you feel like you really need, because I would say there's some products that I use that are just hard or impossible to find in some areas that I go. So there are some times when I do bring those things if I'm able to. 
And more times than not, unfortunately, it's not travel size. So there's that as well. But if you find yourself in a situation like that and you really need something, then okay, you can budge. I won't be a hypocrite, but more than likely, as your first trip, especially if it's something more on the shorter end, you'd be okay without it for a while. So, And speaking of that, an advantage of travel-sized toiletries and also having a smaller bag is being able to carry on your bag if you're going on a flight. So you won't have to worry about any fees, although most international flights, you, I'd say 99%, you won't have to pay any fees if you decide to check it, but one thing that might happen if you check it is your bag either gets lost or doesn't make it to your destination when you make it. The last time I was in Bangkok, actually, that happened to me, which was unusual. It took a few days to get there, but I was okay. Even though I only had the clothes on my back for a few days, I was fine. But I'm sure, especially for your first trip, that might not be the most ideal situation. So if you're able to carry it on, even better. Now, step three of that preparation, helpful tools and maybe apps that you can use on the road. I know Carly mentioned about that $800 fee for roaming. That hurts. Be sure to check with your phone provider about their international plans and, and that's all said and you're not roaming. But some things you can do with that at home, they do have some some SIM cards and, and, th- and plans that specifically for international traveling that you can look into. But I think the best option, again, if you do have a phone that takes a SIM card and you really need it, is to actually buy a SIM card once you get into whatever country you're going to. That way you, um, you're going to, because you're going to pay much less in comparison. Again, if you're already paying for a plan back home, it's probably just easier to, to figure that out. But maybe if you can pause it, for a while and and work something out with the company, that's probably the better option. More times than not, I just worked off of Wi-Fi wherever I was going. There were definitely some times where I bought the local SIM card and worked great, just like 10, equivalent of 10 bucks for X amount of data. And it was perfect for what I needed it for. So that's the best option. Otherwise, you can also use WhatsApp if if it's a matter of trying to keep in touch with people while you're over there. So again, that just works off data and you can... You can leave the phone plan out of it and just work off a of Wi-Fi wherever you are. A lot of places in general have some form of free Wi-Fi as far as walking in the city. And then, of course, if you go to a restaurant or something, then you may have the Wi-Fi there as well. So some helpful phone apps. I don't want to get into much of that, but I'll give you three that I've used often through my years of travel. Um, there's Currency, Currency app. So obviously you can do the exchanges wherever you go. You should definitely get some sort of offline map. I've used Maps Me more so in the last few years, but Google Maps can work the same. There's other options. Basically, you just have to make sure you download a map of whatever city or area you're going to online. And then, as I probably implied already, it'll work offline. So then, of course, you won't need any data or have to be connected to the internet to be able to get around. And then the last one is any sort of ride app. So Uber, Grab, whatever equivalent there is in the city you're in. I know, for instance, like India doesn't have either, and they use their own thing, but it'll go a long way. I know a lot of places, I mean, really, it's just it's just more straightforward. You know, if you're somewhere where the language can be a barrier, it can be tricky sometimes. I know in, in Thailand, or a lot of Asia, really, 
you know, if you're not if you're not the best haggler, that can be an issue at times. You know, you, maybe you try to get a tuck tuck and they just won't give you a good price or and might not even know the price to even begin with. And 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 sometimes you can hail a taxi, but there might be some of those some of the drivers there that won't put on the meter and then you get a bit of an unfair price for it. Not that it's expensive, it's it's more about the principle, but if you use a ride app, that takes all of that trouble away. Now that could be part of the process and makes it more fun as far as haggling and stuff, but again, for your first trip, that'll make it just as easy as possible. And then of course, there's some extra things you can do, but it really just depends on the type of trip you're going for. So like I said, if you're doing a, a volunteer trip and there's some specific things you need, of course, you'll have to get those things ready. So keep those sort of things in mind as well. I know I mentioned like hiking gear and such earlier. So those are extra bits as far as gear prep goes, but those first three go a long way. Once you get that set and stage two is done, then you move into stage three. And that's figuring out where you're going to stay exactly as far as accommodation. And to be honest, stage two and stage three, you can flip it a bit. And actually kind of do at the same time. Just depends on if figuring out your accommodation as soon as you figure out what country you're going to go to makes you feel better. That's fine too. Are you going to volunteer and you'll get a place to stay through that? Are you going to stay at a hostel? Stay with family or friends? Or maybe are you going to do an Airbnb or couch surf? You know, with hostels, the main source I've used over years to figure out where to go is Hostel World, hostelworld.com. It's basically like any hotel aggregator, but of course, it's just for hostels. And, and on the site, it has a few different ratings, but the main one I always look at is atmosphere and cleanliness to a degree, to be honest. But the main, the main one for sure is atmosphere. Read the comments if you want as far as people who leave reviews there. Look through the pictures, and then you can decide if the hostel thing is the route you're going for. But yeah, as far as the prices go, it, it again, it depends on the area of the world that you are, but they're all very budget-friendly. I know Asia in Asia, around $9 for a hostel is more on the high end, to be honest. You can definitely get a nice one going somewhere for maybe 5 bucks or so. So, But again, that's where those ratings come into play. So keep that in mind. I think uh, in Europe more so, anything from around 10 to at the highest, I'd say 30 euro a night. Depending on where you are, West or East, Eastern Europe, and the time of the year, what's going on, that's pretty reasonable. So again, really just depends on the part of the world you are, but overall, you're gonna always going to get a pretty decent deal. So volunteering, uh, you know, if you're, if you're going that route, a lot of volunteering opportunities will also provide a place for you to stay for accommodation, so, or at least help you find it. So that's a bit more straightforward. And of course, to find some volunteering, a good site for that is is actually Workaway. There's many, but that's the one I've used over the years. I found at least three different opportunities. You know, I, I helped out a hostel in Croatia and obviously stayed at the hostel there. I did one in Peru, as I mentioned, and I had to pay for that accommodation, but it's a very cheap private room, so no issue. And then I also did one in France for my very first trip. I just stayed with a family and helped uh, with some home projects there. But I should mention, yeah, a lot of the volunteering through that platform anyway is just an exchange. And more times than not, you'll get a free place to stay. So there's that as well. Airbnb, you probably know of that more than anything at this point. But Airbnb is more so if you have a 
decent budget going for you, it's still a better option than than staying in a in a hotel. So that's always good. But Airbnb can actually be pretty nice. If you're gonna go that route, I would say instead of renting a whole place to yourself, possibly get like a get a private room. That'll put you in a spot where you're still staying with somebody local, and you can still get that immersion, if you will. The last. I've done a few Airbnbs, more and more so for work purposes. And the last one I did was actually so amazing. I was in Mexico and I stayed. I stayed in a private guest house. It was a family that owned that the area. A few different rooms or houses, if you will. And the guest house itself is very basic, but just what I needed. It it got the job done. Um, but the coolest thing about it, I even remember the lady's name, Marisol. Uh, none of them spoke English, but. And I I don't speak much Spanish unfortunately, but anyway, I try to be pretty independent, and I kind of when I'm in that work mode, I I kind of do my own thing, and you know I'm always say hi as I'm passing by, but but that's it at that time. But I remember first few days there, they'll come by, check in, make sure things are are okay, and that's that's normal. But then uh, one day, I get a knock on my door, and Marisol, who was the host, her mom was at the door, and. She's speaking in Spanish. I don't understand, but that's okay. Um, we're we're we start kind of signing, and she says, "Come here," basically. So I walk with her to her house, just literally a a, a stone's throw away. But we walk, and then she presents me with a plate of her home cooking, and I was, and you know, I was just happy because it's food. But just the gesture, the gesture was pretty heartwarming, and very much unexpected. So I thanked her very well, and went back had my plate. Eventually went back after I was done, washed the plate and everything to give her her plate back, and then she presented me with with more food. It was I don't I don't know what it's called, but it's like a it's like a flatbread with that had some veggies on it, and it was delicious. But you know, through the food, she was sharing her culture with me, and 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 it was great. It was actually like the first time in a while I had proper home cooked meal, so that even made it the better. So I think with Airbnb, you can. You'll be able to find those sort of experiences if you book, like I said, a private room versus just renting out a whole place to yourself, where you might not have the chance to interact with that person at all. So, just something to think about. Another thing that's cool about them is they actually have the Airbnb experiences now. I only learned about it fairly recently, but if you're going the Airbnb route and you're more so trying to find some cultural things to do that are pretty unique, you can refer to that as well. At one point, I was actually hosting Airbnb experiences in Bangkok and doing a little bit of a pub crawl, if you will, and and taking people to some more very local and kind of hidden spots. So, but you know, they all they all said some of the spots that we went to they would have never heard about if um, or knew about if they didn't join in. So keep that in mind. Quick tip with that though, if you do go an Airbnb route. Can always stay at whatever place through there, and then find out about a hostel that you can go out to hang to and and get a bit of the best of both worlds. Especially if the reason you don't want to do a hostel is having to share a room potentially with others. That said, they do have private rooms at house at some hostels too, so keep that in mind. But and then there's also couch surfing. Couch surfing is more of a community that represents that idea that I was talking about with Airbnb and that. A lot of people on on Couchsurfing, Couchsurfing.com, are travelers or did travel in the past, or just people who want to meet travelers and interact. And it's it's sort of based on the on the mentality of of kind of giving back and providing to the community. 
um, to actually stay at a place. Like no one really expects a monetary compensation. It's always nice if you do do some couch surfing to leave something behind. I've only done it once, but I I did it in France, and you know, getting to know my my host at the time, he was a fan of wines, so we actually didn't see each other much because just his work schedule and and all that. But when I left, I left him a bottle of wine and a, a decent goodbye note, I think. And he was he messaged me later and just oh like you know very appreciative for the wine. So the mentality of the couchsurfing is more based on that. They also do have events that you can learn about that are sometimes paid, but a lot that are free. I know in the past in Spain, I found a free walking tour through Couchsurfing. Ended up meeting a lot of cool people and obviously having a cool experience. So it could definitely be useful for that as well. The only thing I'll say with Couchsurfing is sometimes it can be pretty hard to set up an actual couch to sleep on. It, like it's It's a bit more... You have to really plan it out in advance from just my experience of doing it. But that can definitely, it can definitely still be useful to you going into your first trip and possibly just serving as another form of being able to meet people on the road as well. So that's about it. Those are the tips I'll give to you to help you prepare for your first trip. I hope they, they work out and they're helpful for you in your preparation once you get to that step. And I'll leave it with that. If you have any comments, questions, or just want to say hi, give me a shout. Contact at backpackersociety.site. I think we might look into some audio message soon as well, so stay tuned for that. But hit me up on the email. I'll read all the emails that I get. And if you send something awesome, maybe I'll read it on another show. Thanks again to Carly for joining me on an interview. Thank you for listening. And wherever you are, I wish you well. This has been the Backpacker Society Show. Click the link in the episode description and head over to backpackersociety.site to see our show notes, where you'll get access to information mentioned in the episode. 